Welcome to episode 72 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, pranking your trail buddies is fun. But it's even more fun if your trail buddies are barely tall enough to ride a roller coaster. Then we'll share a wild Carolina swamp adventure that's even too much for the British Empire. For today's backpack hack of the week, you'll learn how to make a biscuit quickly. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a Supreme Court justice on the trail, William O. Douglas. All this and that's about it today on the first 40 miles. April Fool's Day is right around the corner and it has us thinking about fun times that we've had on the trail and, you know, some of those humorous moments. Humor is one of those things that's a shared experience. And so if you try to share a funny story that happened to you on the trail, it will be hilarious to everyone else who was there. But to people who weren't there, they'll kind of scratch their heads and you'll have this awkward silence. You know, we have these funny stories that we wanted to share, but they're not that funny. But you like if we told them to our kids or if we told them to the people that were there, we'd have this great moment of reliving this hilarious experience. So We'll just share what we have, and you are free to roll your eyes and get on with your life. Press skip. Some of our funny memories from past trips that really stick out to me is, um, well, one of them is when our son was reading The Secret Garden to our family. We were all in the same tent. We were kind of just... Stuck. Stuck. And the tent was getting soggier and um, the zipper had broken. And so he's reading Secret Garden to us as we're eating dinner. And he's reading it in different accents. Like he started off with a British accent. I think he did an Indian accent. He picked up an African accent from one of our neighbors a few years ago. And so he's mastered that. Every accent, I think an Irish accent, like he just pulled all these different accents and it ended up being a hilarious twist on the story. So I don't know if that's funny to anyone else. (laughs) We got a kick out of it. Remember last spring when we uh, started our hike in the Redwoods and, you know, there's a sign at the beginning of the trail. Everyone reads these signs, but they don't really take them completely seriously. So the sign warned about ticks, and it gave some suggestions for how to prevent having ticks. And our seven-year-old took these suggestions 100% (laughs) to heart. I love it, because he tucked his pants all the way into his socks, and he pulled his socks all the way up. He did not get one single tick on that trip. Nobody else did. But he didn't, so it worked. (laughs) We do have one other funny little thing. Do you want to talk about Sasquatch's underwear, or do we just skip that? We will not talk about that. Okay. Should we just move on to the top five list? Yeah, it's good. Okay. And it's funny. Today's top five list is the top five backpacking pranks for kids. And think like the age 6 to 11 crowd. This is where these really fit. Yeah, and that really is the perfect backpacking crowd because they're old enough where they can carry their own weight 
You know, they can carry their sleeping bag and their extra clothes and some snacks and some water, but they're not so old that they have a job, you know, or they have tons of school responsibilities. Six to 11 is like this really sweet spot. Well, they're still young enough to laugh at dad jokes. Oh, yeah. And that's part of what's needed here for these pranks. (laughs) So the number one backpacking prank for kids is eating dirt. This one is a classic, and all you need is a package of Oreos that you crush, and then dad or mom can just eat it with a spoon right out of the bag, or what's really fun is maybe accidentally spill some on your kid's dinner or dessert and be like, oh, I'm so sorry, it dropped in the dirt. Do you want to still eat this? If your kid's a crier, this might not be a good one to play on your kid, but if you have a pretty well-balanced kid... It's a good one. Yeah, make sure they're not the type that's just going to throw the food away as their first reaction. (laughs) Like, oh, great, now dinner is gone. (laughs) Whoops. The number two backpacking prank for kids is peas and carrots. All you need is a bag of the fruit-flavored Tootsie Rolls, and you pull out the orange ones and the lime ones. And you cut the lime into small pieces, and you roll the lime Tootsie Rolls into balls. So they look exactly like peas. You're not going to do a whole bowl full of these. You're going to do like a little snack size Ziploc bag and that'll be enough. And then you take the orange flavored Tootsie Rolls and you make those square, kind of like, you know, the frozen peas and carrots that you get at the store. And you can make these on the trail with the kids and maybe play a prank on dad. Or you can make them before the trip and hand them out to the kids as their trail snack. Honey, I brought something really healthy for you because we've been eating a lot of chocolate. So you hand them a bag of these vegetables and (laughs) then just watch their reactions. And this works best with kids who hate vegetables. Especially the frozen peas and carrots. I'm not Not a fan fan. of this. The number three backpacking prank for kids would be to give your child a backpacking hitchhiker. This could be something like a favorite stuffed animal. It's wearing a bandana or something that you stuff inside of their pack at the very bottom. So this is a more call it a gentle prank. It's a kind prank. You're not trying to trick them. You're trying to surprise them. And that works especially well with maybe a younger child who might be a little bit nervous about sleeping outside when they unpack their stuff and they find their little stuffed animal at the bottom. They're going to be so happy. So it's a good prank. No tears. The number four backpacking prank to play on kids is a sound effect coming from your tent. What was that? It was an owl. Okay, try something a little more... Whoa. <laughs> not, not, not that much. How about this? <laughs> Where do you find a rooster on the trail? I don't know. Like they're native to like <laughs> Indonesia or somewhere like that. Well, this prank might be a little more appropriate for older kids that won't stay quiet past 11 o'clock at night. Just play a sound effect and see if they notice. (laughs) Another fun one that you could play is like the toilet flushing or various bathroom noises as you come out of the woods. Yeah, or while you're on the trail. What was that? That was a bumblebee. Yeah, you get them like slapping the air and, (laughs) you know, you just hold it up to their ear. (laughs) (laughs) The number five backpacking prank for kids would be the fish in the water bottle. 
So all you need to do is find a little plastic fish and add it to your child's water bottle. When you hand it to them, you can say like, Ooh, oh, what's in your water? I just scooped this from the stream. You have a fish in your water. And it works equally well with little plastic snakes or lizards or those little green frogs. Two months after we were married, we took a trip during spring break to eastern Washington. And along the way, we stopped in, I think it was the town of Index? Yeah, I think so. Where there was a serpentarium. So it's like a, basically a reptile zoo. And uh, so we had a great time. We looked at, you know, all the snakes and everything else there. And then right after that, we went to a little green patch on the other side of the street to have lunch. And I don't think the serpentarium part was coordinated with the other part, but when I opened the lunchbox, I got a pretty good jump when I saw a snake in our lunchbox, <laughs> which had been planted there by you. I had no idea we were going to a serpentarium. I just thought it would be funny to put a snake in your lunch. <laughs> so the timing was perfect. <laughs> and I believe that pranks are only funny if everyone is laughing. You know, if a kid starts crying, you got trouble. We tried to keep these really light, positive, funny, and I think they'll add a little spark of humor to the trail. Oh, Josh, I told you not to do that one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Six you. to 11 year olds. <laughs> it's the perfect sound effect. It really is. And that was a good one. Whoever recorded that was talented. They had the mic very close to their mouth. <laughs> Well, are we ready for our next segment? <laughs> well, let's see what my smartphone says. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, we're ready. We are ready for adventure, actually. Yeah. This is a segment that we throw in randomly. And I found this really great hike, and I was so excited to share it. This segment takes the place of our Summit Gear Review, and we throw in a hike along with some different elements, and we talk about how to prepare for that hike. So today's Ready for Adventure is the Swamp Fox Passage in South Carolina. So the Swamp Fox Passage is a 47-mile-long trail, and it commemorates and preserves the swampy area of South Carolina where Francis Marion used to outsmart the British Redcoats during the Revolutionary War. And we've scoped out a nine-mile segment of that 47-mile trail to do as an out-and-back overnighter. Like, why did, why did you choose that? What What's the pull for you? I guess it's kind of a personal choice. Like, I really, I do have a strong pull to South Carolina. Oh, yeah. You lived there as a I child. Know. So it, it's always got a place in your heart. It's a special place. Yeah. I love the history there. I lived near the Swamp Fox Passage, and it just sounded so exciting to be on this trail where he actually hid out. It kind of was... I don't know, romantic and mysterious, and um, I felt like I was going to be a part of American history on that trail. So you've chosen a segment that's nine miles each way. That means you're going to do nine miles in a day, and then you're going to turn around and do nine miles the next day, which is pretty long distance. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, typically nine miles is a pretty strenuous day. I mean, especially if you plan on doing about two miles an hour, that's, you know, about five hours worth of hiking in a day. And if you stop along the way, that, that makes a pretty full day. This trail, however, is flat and fast. There is very little elevation gain, and there's nothing too strenuous about the actual trail other than maybe tree roots and possibly some 
pretty muddy sections. Yeah, the word swamp is a pretty big clue that <laughs> everything is flat and that's why the water doesn't go anywhere. Right. So flat trail, pretty easy going as far as that goes. Of course, these are the Carolina swamps, which are famous for thwarting the British redcoats. So they're not exactly a piece of cake in some ways. There's a lot going on in these swamps that could really derail your trip. What have you planned for? And, you know, kind of what are the contingencies here that you're looking at? Well, this is a whole, uh, what would you call it, a can of worms, but it's more than that. It's a can of snakes, a can of everything. Swamps are just filled with life. And that means mosquitoes, ticks, water moccasins, rattlesnakes, copperheads, and poison ivy. So I'm going to have to come prepared, not only with really great insect repellent, but also I'm going to have to look into a snake bite kit. And then even treating poison ivy. I'm not really great at identifying poison ivy. And so these are things that I'm going to have to really figure out before I go out there. From what I've heard, the mosquitoes are a real problem the warmer it gets. And this is early April. So even though the mosquitoes may not be a you know problem like they would be maybe in like July, I'm still planning on bringing a mosquito head net and really making sure that, that that's not going to be kind of a dark cloud over the trip. Literally. I mean, can you imagine like a dark cloud of mosquitoes Whoa. over your head? Ah. Could happen in places like that. And it sounds like I'll also be ending the evening by pulling out my flashlight and my mirror and checking for ticks and chiggers. Yeah, this is a far cry from the docile environment of Oregon where we live, where, I mean, there's there's... Virtually no poisonous plants unless you eat them. And, uh, and there's no poisonous snakes. And yeah, I mean, there's just so little that can really be truly dangerous to you. And now you're going to the swamps of South Carolina where it's like, like you said, it's full of life, just packed with things that could impact your trip. And even though it's full of life and full of water, it's swamp water. And that's also a really big difference from what we have in Oregon, where we might just dip our water out of some um, streams that are cascading down the hillside after a rainstorm. So Halfway Creek at mile six had a water source, but it's been removed. So you're looking at covering a lot of miles without a dependable, clean water source. Are you going to pack water for the entire 18 miles? Are you going to try to filter some swamp water? What are you thinking? I think typically the Swamp Fox Passage is done in a series of day trips. Not a lot of backpackers do this route, and I think it is because of the water issue. And looking at the map, it looks like there really is limited water or just unpleasant water. If I go a mile further at Harleston Dam Creek, that's mile 10, I could hike in as if I'm going to pack all of my water and do a little spur up to Harleston Dam Creek and see if there is fresh water there. And I may find water sources along the way. I'm, I'm not too excited about dipping into the water sources because they are so swampy. And the people that I talked to at the Forest Service said the water that you get really needs to be boiled for three to five minutes. They were very emphatic that this isn't just water that you want to pump through your filter. You know, give it a good rolling boil. If I do find water, I'm going to count on that water being not the best tasting water. And so to bring along something like, you know, the Tang drink mix or Noon tablets, that would be a really good option just to kind of help the water go down a little bit better. Another reason I'm a little bit nervous about water is 
course, we talked about the water moccasins. And then I believe alligators live in the swamps. I don't know if waters, I don't know if I want to get near any water. <laughs> I think I might pack in everything I need. And then if I do find a creek, then hooray. Uh, if not, I will just probably be a little more judicious with my water use. Another reason to stay away from the water is the pluff mud. This is something I just learned about recently. It's spelled P-L-U-F as in Frank, F as in Frank. Pluff mud, it's this slippery, shiny, brown, grayish mud that kind of sucks your boots in. It's kind of unpredictable in what it will do when it grabs a hold of you. So it's probably best to stay away from those muddy areas. Yeah, it was funny when you were talking on the phone with the, um, was it someone at the Forest Service? Yeah. And she was, uh, she said, now you'll want to watch out for puff mud. Like, and on a telephone call. It, <laughs> I you couldn't know, figure the, out what yeah, she was saying. Because those sounds just get lost on the telephone. Like, it was like the F sound. Puss mud or plus mud or I could not figure it out. I had to yeah. spend some serious time on Google to nail that one. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Wow. Yeah, and I read that if you want to know what pluff mud smells like or kind of get the pluff mud experience, but you don't live on the East Coast, the closest thing that anyone has ever been able to find to it is the Great Salt Lake, kind of the squishy, marshy areas there. And we've been there, and I can remember the smell there. Yeah. It's all these um, decaying little flies, little tiny flies, and then the little tiny brine shrimp. Well, the smell is caused by something else in the South Carolina pluff muds. Oh, I know that. But I mean, at the Great Salt yeah. Lake, it's, yeah, it's decaying it's animal matter mm -hmm. you know, from these tiny shrimp and tiny flies. And you have to get through that zone before you can get out into the more clear water. So it's, yeah. Ugh. So I can get a sense of what pluff mud smells like. Well, I know you had a ton of fun preparing for this hike, even though you're not actually taking it. It's on the other side of the country and you're not going to be there anytime soon. But it was so fun for you to explore and research and gather all the information. We mentioned that you talked to someone at the Forest Service. Uh, what else did you do to find information and prepare for this hike? So I spoke with a woman at the Francis Marion Forest Service office, and she said that the best resource for that that whole area was the Palmetto Conservation Foundation. And they have an incredible website that provides maps and information for the Palmetto Trail. The Palmetto Trail is a trail that stretches out across the entire state of South Carolina. And you can do little patches of it and they have all the information on their website. So we'll put that link in the show notes. And this 47 mile segment, the Swamp Fox Passage, is that entirely on the Palmetto Trail? Yeah. And from what I understand, it's the longest segment of the Palmetto Trail. So if we have any listeners in South Carolina who have done the Swamp Fox Passage, it'd be really cool to hear what it's really like. Maybe post some pictures on our Facebook or Twitter pages to let everyone see what it's like. For today's backpack hack of the week, DIY biscuit mix. What is that? It has nothing to do with biscuits. It was a frog. <laughs> it has nothing to do with biscuits. Thanks. It was a random sound effect from my smartphone. What have I done? Bisquick is a great thing to have on the trail, and you could definitely just pick up a box at the store. But if you wanted to make your own, we have the secret recipe. It's not really a secret, just off the internet. But I tried it out. It's all tested and tried, which I think is such an important element of recipes. So you'll need six cups of all-purpose plain old flour. If you're trying to be healthy, then you're welcome to use whole wheat flour. You'll need three tablespoons of baking powder, one tablespoon of salt, and one cup of 
Vegetable shortening. Do you think coconut oil would work? It is a solid at room temperature, but it melts at a pretty low point. Yeah, coconut oil would totally work, especially if you use the unflavored. So get the more refined coconut oil. Okay. The less refined it is, the more coconut of a flavor it has. Just Which would be really good. So good. But if you're going to be doing savory stuff, I don't know, it might still be really <laughs> it might good. might still be really good. But when I tested out this recipe, I just did the classic, you know, the standard American diet. So these are the, the sad version of the biscuit mix. It just has the white flour and the vegetable shortening. And it really is pretty shelf stable, although you'll probably want to keep it in the fridge just to increase its stability. So you want to get all these ingredients together, either in a food processor or in a bowl so you can mix it with a pastry blender and you just blend the ingredients until they're evenly mixed and crumbly in texture and then you can use this recipe in any recipe that calls for bisquick or biscuit mix and that means when you're out on the trail you can make donuts really easily you can make navajo fry bread or you can make really simple bannock today's backpack hack of the week actually trumped the other hack that we were going to do, which was trail pancakes, which calls for 14 robin eggs, a quarter pound of acorns, which you pound into a flour with a stone, and then milk from a wild she-goat. Be careful. That's hardcore. (laughs) Wait, do I have any goat sounds? Oh, or sheep. Is that a goat? Was that a she-goat? Well, it was a sheep, which sounds pretty similar to she-goat, right? I mean, if you do happen to find a cow in the woods, cow's milk would work too. That was a bonus hack. Yeah, well, you know, or camel milk. (laughs) We'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom. (laughs) We need some wisdom. We're going all the way to the Supreme Court with this one. We'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, William O. Douglas. He was a Supreme Court justice and an avid hiker. Uh, lived from 1898 to 1980. He said, The thrill of tramping alone and unafraid through a wilderness of lakes, creeks, alpine meadows, and glaciers is not known to many. A civilization can be built around the machine, but it is doubtful that a meaningful life can be produced by it. When man worships at the feet of avalanche lilies or discovers the delicacies of the pasque flower, or finds the faint perfume of the flocks on rocky ridges, he will come to know that the real glories are God's creations. When he feels the wind blowing through him on a high peak, or sleeps under a closely matted white bark pine in an exposed basin, he is apt to find his relationship to the universe. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, check out our new book, 40 Backpacking Hacks on Amazon or iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. like I'll also be ending the evening by pulling out my flashlight and my mirror and checking for chicks. Chicks. No, not chicks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, Tigger and chicks. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> 
today's backpack of the week actually trump backpack hack of the week what did i say backpack, backpack of the week thanks for listening